Welcome to the Too Old for This Podcast, episode 14. To the people of King's Landing, this episode has a message for you. The only reason you've been alive for the last eight seasons is because there's been a lot of people around Daenerys Targaryen talking her out of killing you. And, well, Daenerys stopped listening. We got a lot to talk about today. So on Nerd and Up Nerd, let's start the show. La 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 you were singing along. You you love yeah, that theme song, there right? There you go, man. I, I love your theme song. That's what the that's what they should use in the actual show. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a fan. Of, I'm a fan of the one that HBO has already. Yeah. Um, as as you can probably tell by my silly rendering of it there. <laughs> um, and um, you know what else I'm a fan of, Kevin? And I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be brave. I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna step out from the crowd here. I'm gonna All stick right. my neck out. I'm gonna stick my neck out here. All right. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say the thing that I think most of us are afraid to say today. You like the last and, Jedi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boom! God. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid. I, I'm afraid. I stuck my neck out on that one a long time ago. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and and I am I have been headless for a long time thanks to that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Here I am with my new head, uh, sticking my neck out once again. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say I-, I liked season eight, episode five, the bells. Oh snap! Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna jump on your your hate party. I'm not gonna do it because. Um, but you know what? Jared? I'm still I'm still watching the best TV show ever made. I don't care what your expectations were. You Go are ahead, entitled to your opinion, and that's what am this I, show is I, all is, about. Am I entitled? Am I entitled? That's what this show is all about. This is why we I, do it because we like to talk about our opinions, and you are entitled to it, my friend. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I just, you, you can know like what? It. I just, oh, man. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I just, I just feel, I feel the anger already, you know, I feel, I feel like people pressing stop uh, on the MP3 right now, (laughs) because how, how dare I, how dare I, how dare you have an opinion and how dare you like something that everyone else on the internet is not liking. What did you like? What did you think, my friend? Uh, okay. Uh, as again, uh, coming from a non-fan perspective, I had no problems with this episode. Uh, uh-huh. There was parts of it that, you know, I, I'm kind of scratching my head at and going, okay, well, why did they do that? Or okay. why did she do this? <laughs> right? I mean, but, 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 but overall, but, like, overall, I, I didn't mind the episode. So um, I actually probably liked this episode more than I did the last one. Did you have any idea that Dragonfire was so powerful? violent and powerful? I did not. That you would watch dragon fire knocking down six, eight, ten foot thick castle walls. Uh, I, so realistically, <laughs> like it, it was, it was real Kev. Like 
it was really happening in front of me. Like, this is, in real life, if this dragon existed and this castle existed and this happened, this is exactly what it would look like. Like, My question, though, with that, like, why didn't she do that last week? You know what I mean? Like, well, remember when there no, was... No, it's, 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 it's like I just said in the intro, my friend. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's been eight years of people saying, look, your dad was kind of a psycho and we're kind of hoping that you're not going to be like that, okay? It's kind of like all of her advisors from the very beginning, all the way back to her first advisor from Westeros, which was Jorah, I believe. Okay. Um, you know, there might be somebody who got in there first, but um, Jorah is, I, I think, our first character that we see in the books in the show from Westeros advising Daenerys. And all the way back to him, he's like, yeah, you know, your father did some stuff, and and, and I... You know, I know you're not your father, so that's okay. But, but this has always been a question in the books. That's the line from this episode um, when a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin and the world ho- holds its breath. Right. Like that's a thing. Like this is part of the Targaryen history. Is that half of them are insane? And the debate here, I think, is 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 Daenerys insane? Or is she just the biggest villain the show has had? Is okay. she just she's just killing for bloodlust, yeah. in my opinion, here. There's people are like, why, why, why? It doesn't make any sense. It makes sense if she's enjoying it. Yes, okay. Because she is so <laughs> hurt. Because we have watched this entire season, Daenerys like making faces. Because everybody, like, nobody loves her here. Mm-hmm. And she is used to being, she's fucking Beyonce, uh, where she comes from, where right. she just conquered, right? Like, they raised her up and spun her around and sung, you know, songs about her okay. and worshipped her where she comes from. And now here she is, and everybody's just expecting her to be, like, one of the guys and, and not, like, their queen. And... In this episode, like absolutely everybody lets her down in that in that aspect, right? Like the whole deal here for her was like she never equivocated with anybody. She's coming to take her throne back because it's hers. Right. Because it's her it's her birthright that was taken from her, and she thinks she like owns it. It's her property. It's she didn't come to Westeros to liberate, mm. to like set people free. Like she talked about breaking the wheel and all that, but like like that was added that came later. That was from conversations with her advisors, with her people from Westeros trying to talk her out of this right. for for five books, for eight seasons of a TV TV show. People have been trying to talk Daenerys out of doing this. And my question to you, Game of Thrones fans, my question to you, Daenerys fans, of which I'm one, but I'm not one that has a problem with this, because because I have to ask you, why, why would George Martin, why would the TV show spend all of that time and all of that effort showing you characters trying to talk Daenerys out of doing this if she's not gonna do it right what is the point if daenerys accepts the surrender and just walks up and peacefully takes the throne what was the point of all of the 
of the characters wasting all of that time, the precious narrative story storytelling time. What would be the purpose of it if it's not paid off? Right. With this horrible Game of Thrones moment where we made you hope for something because we're going to use that hope to twist a knife in your gut and break your heart. Like the way the show does over and over, the way the books do over and over and over. What happened, Daenerys? Uh, Daenerys embracing her bloodlust. Mm. Daenerys embracing fire and blood. Her house sigil is fire and blood. The, the, you should be no more surprised that Daenerys did what she did than you would be surprised about Ramsay Bolton peeling people's skin off. Because his house sigil is the flayed man. Because that's the history of his family. That's what they fucking do. Mm. It's, it's what they're all fucking about Targaryens are all about fire and blood. And if you thought we were not going to see a dragon, at least, uh, just laying waste, just just creating a path of total destruction mm -hmm. um, in the ending of this thing, then what do you think they were there for? What do you think the whole point of them being teased for this whole time was for? And I'm sorry if what you wanted was, oh, the dragons were only going to lay waste to the evil characters and not like the good characters and the dragons were going to stay good guys like they would have in Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry, but you're not watching. You haven't been paying attention to this show either or you haven't. Uh, you're not aware that George R. R. Martin has said for two decades now that Game of Thrones was a response to Lord of the Rings to tell you to say Lord of the Rings was bullshit. Like, I, like he liked it too, obviously. He loved it too, but it always rang to be false to him right. that that one hero can save us all and then everybody lives happily ever after. Or that a dragon, it, like a terrible, like wild creature a beast of magic can be like a good guy like the, so, the people who are upset the people who are upset just i i understand you you wanted daenerys to be a hero you wanted daenerys to be the female john but the whole point of this is it's the ballad of ice and fire and now daenerys is finally fire and 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 i'm sorry i'm not even reviewing the episode at all i'm not even i'm i just, I just jumped to this but 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 that scene where where Daenerys and and John are talking in front of that fireplace in Dragonstone yeah. is such a gut wrenching scene. To me, it was even as as much as as much gut wrenching as watching the children being burned alive by the dragons later on. Watching John reject Daenerys, watching her like throw herself at him and basically beg him to love her. Because no one loves her and she's alone if he doesn't love her. And then he fucking freezes on – like in that moment, I turned to Melinda and I pointed to John and and and, and Daenerys and I said, ice and fire. It, they were right there on my screen. She was hot as hell mm -hmm. and he was cold as, nice. the, as the cold hell. Yeah. But <laughs> – but, I mean, here it was. This is what happens when ice and fire come together. It's not a harmonious mixture. They, like, they, they cancel each other out. They kill each other. Right. 
And and that's what's happening now that we're all in our true form. Jon Snow is his in a hundred percent Ned Stark form. Like watching Jon Snow act in this episode, you could you could have easily just replaced him with Ned Stark. Exact same performance, exact same reactions, exact same choices, um, and exact same like uh, feeling from the audience. Right. <clears throat> uh, and and here we are. And Daenerys is finally just. Daenerys, it, this is, I'm sorry, but this is Revenge of the Sith. This is Anakin. <laughs> this is Anakin killing younglings. And, uh, and and that was a terrible, jarring change shift too. But, you know, 20 years later, there are legions of fans who think that's the best Star Wars movie. I think they're crazy, but mm-hmm. but they exist. And, <clears throat> and 20 years later, there are going to be people saying that this was the best episode of Game of Thrones when we finally saw the dragon unleashed, the dragon awoken. It has been talked about since season one. You don't want to awake the dragon. Right. And people, people thought Daenerys was the good one. Her brother Viserys was the evil one. Uh, I, they went out of their way to point out that Viserys was not a true dragon. Like, mm-hmm. Viserys shouldn't have been burned. But he shouldn't have died from the melted gold. And Viserys, like, wasn't truly evil. He was just truly selfish. He was just truly, like, into himself more than anything else. And they made it clear to you that Daenerys was the true Targaryen hmm. out of out of the two of them. And at the same time, they kept making it clear to you that Targaryens are fire and blood. Half of them are crazy. And they are just – they rule by supremacy. They rule with these dragons. Like they conquered Westeros with these dragons because nobody could stand up to them. And if we didn't get that, if we didn't get the realization of nobody can stand up to this dragon, nobody can stand up to the Targaryens, like a military supremacy, then that would have been the biggest sellout to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series that you could possibly do. This had to happen. And this was talked about and teased and foreshadowed over and over and over again. This should have been a surprise to nobody. You should have been just sitting there wondering when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen. And there, I think, is the problem. Right. So can I interject for a second? When, when and how. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, um, as you know, I haven't watched seasons two to, you know, seven. Yep. Yep. So uh, for me, when that whole um, thing where like the bells are ringing and then all of a sudden she just snaps and she just goes postal on the city. Yep. Um, for me, I didn't see it coming because right. I didn't follow the show up until that point. So um, in, in, that, in that respect, I guess I was kind of blindsided. So um, that being said, I I had no problem with her going postal, whatever that the case was. I, I get it. Something has snapped in her head and she um just wanted to kill everybody. But um but for me I was like thinking, okay, so you went in to battle with these people and they're in the city and now you're killing them as well. So that's uh-huh. the part that I didn't really get. Yeah. You know um, what I'm saying? It 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 didn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense. Yeah. It, it's she is supposed to be mad. I equivocated and I, and I and I suggested maybe she's not mad. Maybe she's just bloodlust, bloodlusty. But the showrunners 
the the writing in this show and even the editing, uh, even the previously on Game of Thrones, they edited it like a trailer and they put voiceovers on it talking about the Mad King. Mm. They are they are clearly telling us that she is the Mad Queen. She mm. has gone she has gone crazy, and they are clearly showing us that she's not thinking. She's mm. not. She, you know, she was being indiscriminate. She was just burning everything to burn everything. Yes. And, and, and obviously that is not a rational thing to do. That is a crazy, mad thing to do. Absolutely. And, and that was the point is that, okay, now we're back to having a mad queen, a real mad queen. There's no equivocating. We watched Daenerys burn those children. Yeah. You know, she's not the Daenerys from seasons past, where who was shocked when when Drogo Drogon, you know, burned some farmer's daughter. Uh, you know, Drogon is burning farmer's daughter after farmer's daughter in King's Landing, and no problem with it now. You know, this is just clearly, like I said, the Anakin moment, the point of no return. There's no question now. They wanted to make that very clear, and they did. They gave you 45 minutes of Daenerys. Burning the city, burning people, and then they didn't show you her face the entire time. Right. They they stopped showing her face after the bells. They took away her humanity. They took away the things that the, the part of her that the fans can connect to, like the emotion that she's feeling, and they just made her uh, a just just a th- just an anonymous threat from the sky, and and that was obviously very intentional, letting you know. You know, this is. There's no question here. There's no, there isn't going to be a conversation with a debate afterwards. They're not going to be like, uh, Danny, uh, can you stop doing this now so we can all live happily ever after together? Like this is the villain now. Everybody should be afraid. Um, and I think that what I was yeah what I was saying about how it happens, I think, is really the big problem. People are saying. It's foreshadowed but not earned. And I and I get that. You know, we could have had a couple of more episodes of Danny turning mad. Um, you know, the bell device came out of nowhere. It's not something it's not something that is foreshadowed in the books or the show. It's not something that is really explained. Why does it make her crazy? Why is it the bells? You know, maybe we needed a little more explanation about exactly why the bells were the trigger. If the bell, if the bells were actually the trigger and if it wasn't just her plan all along, like maybe, maybe she always planned to do that. Maybe she said in her mind, whether they ring those fucking bells or not, I'm, I'm bringing the city to the ground. And I think that she, she hinted at that in her conversation with Tyrion earlier, where she said, your sister knows our weakness is our mercy, and I intend to show her she's wrong. Right. Like that's what she's doing. She's doing this all for Cersei because she knows Cersei's watching her. She's like, watch what my weakness is, bitch. Like, watch how weak I am, bitch. That's what she's doing this whole fucking time. And it's like I, I uh Okay, I, um, I hate a clip there. Sorry. I, are we gonna are we gonna do a review of the uh, of the show? Or? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> because this is this is this is more like rant. <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, no, no. Like, did you did you want to like break it down, or we don't have to do the entire thing? We could like skip. Yeah. Well, stuff. let's go. Let's go event by event. Yeah. Uh, I know we don't. We don't. I don't have notes this time. We're both just gonna like have the the event the episode open and kind of 
scan through it here yeah. to talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, you give me your reaction and uh, we'll I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so we open on Varys uh, sending letters. Uh, uh, we assume ravens. We don't, we, we don't see ravens, I think, but he's sending letters uh, out to Westeros. We, we could assume uh, it's going to be to the other lords who are surviving in Westeros. We see what he's writing in the letters. There, he's, he's telling Jon Snow's secret, the secret of his heritage. This is, this is a callback to season one where Ed Stark uh, discovered the heritage of Joffrey Baratheon. And started trying to get the word out. He, uh, I think, he asked Varys actually to help him get the word out <laughs> about Joffrey Baratheon's lineage. Uh, that's ex- that's exactly what Varys is doing here. It's more foreshadowing for Varys's death because uh, this is uh, this is the thing that Ned Stark did that got him killed. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, he has a little conversation with a little girl in this scene. Um, she says, uh, "Sorry, it didn't work. She's not eating." So uh, we can take from that that he's trying to poison Daenerys. Uh, we know that uh, Viser- uh, that Varys has uh, assassinated people by poisoning in the past. He's tried to kill uh, Daenerys by poisoning in the past, actually. Um, so he's trying. He's trying now. He's already actively trying to kill her in the opening of this show. Uh, and we and we learn here that uh, Daenerys is despondent and locked up in her room and um, upset, obviously, about what's been going on. Uh, did you take any of that or did that, that all just fly over your head? Yeah. Like when you, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, yeah. <laughs> I watched, I watched this, um, uh, yesterday, so I don't really remember everything that was said yeah, yeah, in the yeah, opening yeah. scene, whatever, right? So, but yeah, go ahead. No, I figured like, this is just a small political moment that, um, you know, if you're a fan, you know, but, um, if you're not, then you'll probably be like, oh, Varys is writing something. Okay. Um, <laughs> then, then from there we go out to Varys and John on the beach and Varys is just coming right out with it. Uh, right out in the open. He's like, John, I know your secret. I think you should be king and not Daenerys. I think she's, I think she's going to be a mad queen. And, um, John immediately with the reinforcement of I am Ned Stark, uh, she is my queen, and he says it so passionately, right? Yeah. Like he's like so adamant about keeping his word. It's so important to him, his honor. Yeah. He's he swore fealty to her, and he's you know he's ready to die basically in her service, if if need be. And um, you know uh, it's pretty clear here that this is going to be the end of Varys because he's doing it right out in the open. He's uh, he's committing treason against his queen right now. Uh, and they're at Dragonstone. Like he couldn't be, he couldn't be in any more vulnerable position. Right. It seems like it seems like Varys has given up on his own life here. Uh, to me, at this point, um, but he, I mean, he's taking a gamble. He's hoping that John is going to uh, rise to the task, and um, he's very wrong. Yeah. Very wrong. Yes. <laughs> Extremely wrong. <clears throat> yes. So. Uh, so uh, you know, we get uh, Tyrion reacting to to seeing that this happening, and then the next scene we get is Tyrion uh, speaking to Daenerys, and and we see we see the state that Daenerys is in. She uh, looks like she hasn't slept. She's got big black circles around her eyes, um, and she's very despondent, very sad. And 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 Tyrion comes to her and says, "I have to tell you something." And she turns and says, "Jon Snow betrayed me." 
Mm. And he's like, Varys, what do you mean? And she goes, she's like three levels above them in the game, basically. She's like, yeah, Varys did that, but Varys would have done that if you hadn't told him, and he would have told, and you would have told him if Sansa hadn't told you, and Sansa wouldn't have known if Jon hadn't betrayed me, right? She's like way above Tyrion at this point, right? She's She's got like a bird's eye view, basically, of everything that's going on, and she lets us know here in this moment that she is very much like a dragon circling above everything, looking down on it. Hmm. There's no, there's no mystery to her. She sees through everyone's deception. She knows that everyone is a betrayer, and she's right. Like if you're a Daenerys fan, and I, and I'm, I said this earlier. Like, I am a Daenerys fan, and I, and I, I don't have a problem with this because. I think this is so true to her character. I mean, she's right. She made a deal with these people. Like, yes, I will I will not go and burn down King's Landing and take that throne for myself. Instead, I'll come help you defeat these dead. And then you will all come help me take my throne and let me rule you. That's a deal they made. They all made this deal with her. Mm-hmm. Var- Varys made this deal. Tyrion made this deal. Uh, Sansa even eventually had to make this deal, you know, via John. John kind of forced her, but you know, John made this deal. John intends to keep it still, but he broke he broke it by telling Sansa. Honestly, uh, he, his loyalty to the Starks uh, took precedence over his oath to his queen, mm-hmm. and like all of this is true. Like so, at this point. It's hard for me to say that Daenerys is crazy. Like Daenerys is just like she's a predator. She's a violent person by nature and she is cornered. She's surrounded by people who betrayed her. Everyone she trusted is gone except for Grey Worm now. Grey Worm is the one person left. The one person among her commanders who she trusts still. Because he's as angry as her and just wants to kill these people in Westeros just like she does now. Right. Um, well, plus they took his uh, his woman away, right? Right. And, I'm talk- and I talked about this with Sarah in, in, uh, in our previous episode. I talked about how Daenerys has never been a savior to Westeros. She's always been a foreign invader, right? Like she's never found a way to to blend in and she's never really wanted to or and why would she right like she was not raised in this culture she was raised in completely foreign cultures completely alien to life in westeros Mm -hmm. the idea that she was ever going to be like the good queen the queen that everybody loves if you if you're going to accept that then you have to accept that well, like, because she marries Jon Snow, that makes her good. Like, because there really isn't any other reason here for her to have any connection to any of this. It's just, like, a thing to her that she wants because she thinks it belongs to her. It's not It's not a home where she grew up. These, these people aren't her people. Mm. So, I, like, I, I think that this is so true to her character and i actually think that this is what george r, r. martin is going to do in the books i i there's been a theory for a long time i'm ranting again there's been a theory <laughs> for a long time that i have been avoiding which is that george r, r. martin actually has the next two books finished right and and that benioff and weiss are actually getting notes from those finished books 
and and they're just and it's just a big secret because you know they know that that if the fans knew that the books were finished and not released that there would be a riot so he has to keep pretending that they're not finished but he's really just waiting to release them for marketing purposes right just to build demand and build demand and build demand Mm -hmm. and i think the marketing of it is going to be you know okay game of thrones fans we know that you were upset with how rushed season seven and season or season seven and season eight were. We know that you were upset with, well, you didn't get uh, Varys's explanation of what the voice from the flames said to him, or you didn't get an explanation of how Melisandre learned her new superpower of lighting those swords on fire, lighting things on fire with her hands. I think the marketing for the book is going to be find out all of those things that you wanted to know from the show that you didn't get because it's because it's all going to be explained in long form in the books but i believe with my heart and soul now i believe the main events from the tv show are going to happen in the books that that these events are actually coming from george rr martin that these books are actually finished and that's a big secret from us Right. It's a it's a fan theory. It's you know I have no proof, like I said, but I, I believe it now. Okay, um, I did read online that uh, it is possibility that the books are finished, and of like what what you're saying yeah. is like relatively true. Is that he is giving them notes of what happens in the book? Right. So I did read that also online somewhere. So, right. So, uh, yeah. A lot of people are saying it. Um, yeah, okay. So, so, so our next scene is the execution of Varys, and um, this is a scene that um, leads me to make a prediction. Uh, I'm going to make it now. Um, I, I believe, with my heart and soul, again, that Tyrion is going to die exactly the same way as Varys, uh, probably early in the next episode, uh, and it's because it is so against character for Tyrion to have turned in Varys and this moment at the end where Tyrion just comes to Varys, just steps out and says, you know, I want you to know it was me who turned you in. Uh, and then Varys's awesome response. Well, I want you to know, uh, I hope I'm wrong. And, but I don't think I am. Right. Um, Varys was right. Of course, Varys was telling the truth. And, and Tyrion was wrong. And Tyrion's, Tyrion put his, his faith in the wrong place again. Uh, and, and, and that is going to be... the that That is, for me, the foreshadowing that Tyrion is going to be in exact, exactly the same position in the next episode. Because Varys saved Tyrion's life a couple of times. Var- Varys really was Tyrion's best friend in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, maybe next to Bronn. But, but, but Varys was really... You know, Tyrion wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Varys, and and the fact that Tyrion did this, and they had this weird conversation about it, just so it was such a blunt uh, moment of dialogue that it has to be set up for Tyrion dying, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, but uh, the execution of Varys went exactly the way I expected. We we all knew this was coming, and and they they definitely foreshadowed it for a long time. Nobody was surprised about the death of Varys. Yo, that guy was gangster because uh, when he got uh, fired up, he didn't scream one little bit. <laughs> no, and I, 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 I think I was wondering about that too. Yeah, well, and, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't, 
I don't actually interpret it as him being brave. Yeah. I I interpret it as like like we were talking about earlier with the violence of the fire. Like the dragon fire is just so like uh, massively hot. Yeah. Like it's just it's magically hot. It's it's like it exponentially hotter than regular fire so i think it just vaporizes people i don't think they suffer when they're burned by the dragon fire i think if you just if you just get strafed by it and it just lights you up and you're just burning i think then you suffer but i think if you're directly in the dragon fire like he was Mm -hmm. like four like four feet from the dragon's mouth i think i think you just go poof and i and that's why I think at the end of the episode, when they show you the burned bodies and they're they're still like exactly in the same position they were, right. uh, I I like that's the way that's what happens to people after a volcano, like after they get engulfed by lava, like the like they found the bodies in like Pompeii, like that, yeah. uh, which is uh, a Kit Harrington Jon Snow connection. Uh, that movie Pompeii, he dies like that, and his body actually appears like that at the end of that movie. Um, in like frozen solid in ash like that but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that was the showrunners telling us like anybody who died this way in direct dragon fire was just instantly poofed and uh, really didn't suffer very much which is I guess you could take a little bit of solace in that from the scenes that come later but uh, (laughs) still hard to find any solace in what we witness later truthfully Um, but, but again, uh, to me, the, my biggest takeaway from the Varys scene is that Tyrion's going to have this exact same scene in the next episode, only Tyrion is going to get some fantastic dialogue before he dies. He's going to say something to Daenerys like, um, uh, you said you were coming to break the wheel, but instead you've only become another spoke. And, and, and then she'll be like, yeah, Dracarys, and pfft, no, no more Tyrion. Right. Um. Uh, but um, and I'm I'm gonna be sad about that. I wanted Tyrion to survive. I wanted Tyrion to go on to be Lord of Casterly Rock and just and just live happily ever ever after in peace for all he's done for the realm. I, I, and and he suffered a lot in the books throughout the stories too. Uh, you know, he lost half his face. He he uh, was nearly killed many many times. He was uh, hurt many times and. Uh, and uh, I just thought that he maybe had earned a happy ending, kind of like I feel like Arya has earned a happy ending through all her suffering, and I, you know, certain other characters like Brienne, a lot of characters actually. Um, but uh, we'll we'll see, I guess, if I'm wrong. But my heart and soul again believes that uh, Tyrion is going to get Dracarist, uh very early in the next episode. Um. Yeah. To me, this episode really was The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, <laughs> You're really it, comparing this to Star Wars. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> just the, just the way the way that The Empire Strikes Back ends on a on a note of despair, yeah. right? Like a, like like Han Solo might we might never see him again. Like, how is he going to survive this? Are are we going to even get him back from you know that evil bounty hunter? And how are we even going to find him? And it's like. Is Han Solo replaced with Lando? Like I remember at the end of Empire Strikes Back, like thinking as a kid, like is it just going to be Lando now? Is did they just replace Han with Lando? Is that is that what it's going to be now? Like, like the the way that we feel about how everything has just kind of changed and it's it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. That, to me, that's just setting us up for um, the big, bittersweet, happy, happy ending, and it's going to be happy for the realm, but probably tragic for most of our characters but still 
I think a lot of the negativity among the fandom is again intentional <clears throat> manipulation by the by the show. Like I think this episode was intending to make you feel despair, like hopeless, like like this this is gonna suck. There's no way this is gonna end good. Like I've heard so many people saying, "There's no way it's gonna end well now. There's no way the ending can be good now. They've ruined too much now." And I feel like. That's what they want you to think right now. They want you to think that your expectations have been so subverted that you can't have a satisfying ending. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know if you are going to get a satisfying ending. I hope we do. Like that's the thing. Like sticking the landing now is all we have left, you know, one episode. Right. Um and uh, I really hope that they stick it, but we'll see. So after um after the execution of Varys, we get a scene in the throne room. Uh, Daenerys and Grey Worm and Tyrion, and you know Grey Worm is looking pissed, and Daenerys is looking pissed, and Tyrion is begging for mercy for the people of King's Landing. If they ring the bells, please stop the fight. If they ring the bells, please call off your attack. And they're like, mm-hmm. And in this moment, I knew that they weren't really into this. Like, I like I knew that Daenerys had already kind of turned on Tyrion here. And and then we find out because uh, Grey Worm leaves the room and Daenerys is like, oh, by the way, I captured your brother Jamie. And and then and Tyrion's face turns from one of great suspicion to horror, shock. Oh my god, this is the nightmare. Okay. Daenerys is uh, she's got Jamie, and she tells Tyrion the next time you fail me will be your last so it, it looks like uh, she's going to kill them all um, and uh, I, she is actually I think so <laughs> we'll see but um, I think this is the moment where I mean I was just sure that uh, Tyrion and Daenerys are really at an end as far as being allies go, even though they'll still go through some motions here for a little bit. Um, so from there, we go to King's Landing, and we're outside the walls, and we have Jon at the head of his army with Grey Worm. And, uh, you know, they're waiting for the sign from Daenerys. Uh, did I skip a scene? I think I no. did. Uh, um yeah, outside the walls, yeah. Archie, no, yeah. Sec. I just want to see if the Jamie being released scene is before we get to King's Landing. And, yeah. Um, okay, so then we get a fun scene where Arya and the Hound arrive at King's Landing. And it's great, because they ride up to some Lannister guards, ready to stop them from entering. And Arya just says, I'm Arya Stark. And I'm here to kill Cersei Lannister. And the guards just kind of were like, uh, what do we do? <laughs> and they just they just let her go. So all the pretenses dropped of of the game right now, of the of loyalties right now. Everybody is just so like scared right now of of Daenerys that uh Arya doesn't have to worry about telling people who she is anymore. Uh Arya could just walk right past these Lannister guards. Uh, everybody's just so freaked out. It's not making a big difference. And then we get the scene where Tyrion goes 
and frees Jamie. And and you know what? This is a scene that I I've heard a lot of people having problems with. Does it make sense? Um, okay, I, I, it's rushed. Like it, they skip over a lot of stuff. Like how come he wasn't caught right away? How come? How come he wasn't brought before Daenerys? Uh, you know, the prisoners escaped. You know, how come we just jump right into the battle and Tyrion is fine? Mm. You know, I, we have to assume a lot of things here. We have to assume Daenerys was too busy uh, or she was on Drogon's back already flying away. You know, we have to assume we have to fill in some some holes in the plot because we're rushing here. We, we're getting to the big events. We have to get through these things. So immediately after Tyrion is told that Jamie's a prisoner, we see him going to free Jamie. And we get a great scene, a really touching scene between these two great actors who every one of their scenes throughout this series has been a high point, really. They kind of elevate the material. And, 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 and we've seen... We've seen Jamie in this exact position before, tied to a pole by his neck on the floor mm. from back back from season one or two when he was captive, held captive by Catelyn Stark. <clears throat> and we've seen the reverse of this, where where Jamie has released Tyrion from captivity and saved his life. So he's paying he's paying we're paying back moments from previously in the show, which is something that the writers constantly do. Like all of this all of the dialogue in these episodes is called back to previous to previous episodes. It's all repeated, repeated stuff from conversations we've had before because they are clearly putting a lot of effort into staying true to these character arcs. They know that fans are going to say, you know, if you, if you change my character, I'm going to know it and I'm going to call you out for it. So I think it's a really brilliant trick that they adopted here when they're writing this dialogue, all they're doing is going back and mining old dialogue from the same characters and kind of repeating it and going over it again. And I, as a fan, I'm loving it. I'm loving these moments that feel so true to these characters and these brothers. You know, Tyrion talks Jamie into, you know, trying to flee with Cersei. And, um, you know, by the way, a note on Jamie here. Uh, I was I was wrong. I, I, I guess you know I we we talked about whether Jamie was going to stop Cersei or whether he was going to be with her because he loves her, mm. and I said he was going to stop her, and he never makes that clear. It, it it is pretty pretty clearly laid out that Jamie is going back to Cersei because he loves her, which would indicate that if Cersei had won this war, that he would just have switched back sides and just supporting her again, but. Um, and so I ha- kind of have a problem with that. A lot of people are saying, well, they, well, they threw away seven years of Jamie's character development because, you know, you know, his moment with Brienne was supposed to be his redemption. But, um, I call bullshit on that. And I, and I said it when we were reviewing episode four, uh, Jamie's moment with Brienne never read as sincere to me. I never thought Jamie was in love with Brienne. I always thought he was just giving her a gift. I always thought that he just had a soft spot for soft spot for her in his heart. He did like her. He did have a kinship with her. He did have a relationship with her that needed a resolution. And the resolution of it was he gave her this gift of this, this moment that she had always wanted in her life and never had. Mm-hmm. And I, and I still don't have a problem with any of that, but I still, I think it is absolutely true to Jamie Lannister's character that he is 
a tragic character and his tragedy is you want to like him you want him to be a good guy because he's so good looking and he's so talented and he's so charming and even when he's evil he's still being charming while he's being evil he's a guy who you want to turn good but that's that's why he's tragic because he's always been seen through the light of this guy who's in love with his twin sister Hmm. who like and can't and can't break that. It's been his entire life. And if you read the books, if you saw, if you, you know, read the Jamie point of view chapters, his own internal thoughts are always on Cersei and how much he loves her and how much he's only happy when he's with her. And he knows it's probably not the smartest thing. He knows it's probably not right, but it is who he is to the bone. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's a tragic character. He's the drug addict. He's the alcoholic who can't beat the demon. And if he had this redemption, if he was in love with Brienne or if he was just suddenly a good person, it would not be true to his character. His tragedy is that he loves his sister. He was born in her arms and he wants to die in his in her arms. He's always wanted that. And that's what he's going to do. It's not... He's, it's not Jamie going back to being a villain. He might be a villain if Cersei ordered him to because he loves her so much. But it's it's Jamie going back to his tragedy. His his what makes his character so compelling is that we have want him to overcome this, but he can't. And in his final moments, he's reaffirming to you what he has always reaffirmed as a character, which is I can't overcome this. This is me. Um, and I I don't have a problem with that at all, and I don't think it's throwing anything away at all. And I love this moment with Tyrion and Jamie, and how it calls back so many moments from previously in the show. Hmm. And it shows us how ultimately these two characters' relationship factors into the end game, and um, it, it factors in in this way in that um, you know they hatch this one last ditch scheme to try to save their family, basically, right? right? Tyrion Tyrion wants his brother and sister and his new niece or nephew to live on because he wants his family to live on. You know, whatever Cersei's done, he still thinks she can be redeemed because they're family, and that's how you feel about your family. Absolutely true to character moment for Tyrion, who also in this scene makes clear that he knows he's going to die for this. Jamie says to him, you know, look what you're doing. Like you're going to die for this. And he says, what's my life versus the lives of tens of thousands of people in King's landing who you might save. If you can make a peaceful transition happen, like my life is worth trading for that. So I don't mind that. I know I'm going to die for this. If it doesn't work out again, Tyrion telling us I'm going to die next episode. And and what I said last episode about making predictions for Game of Thrones, I think, is absolutely still true. Mm-hmm. You can only make a prediction if they've shown you on the screen that something is going to happen or likely to happen or possible to happen. Okay. Just like just like they constantly said it's likely or possible that Daenerys is going to go nuts and burn everybody in King's Landing, they constantly alluded to that for eight seasons they have been constantly alluding now to, to Tyrion dying, and 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 he's going to, I think, in the next episode. That's my prediction. Okay. I have repeated four times now. I'll stop <laughs> repeating. It's all good, man. It's all good. But I, lo- I love this Jamie Tyrion scene. Uh, did it did it matter to you, or was it just filler for you? Um, 
again, like, remember, like, I I don't have a, the deepest connection with the show yeah. as you do, but yeah. no, I thought it was like the whole like him hugging him and stuff like that. I thought that was really nice. That but, hug, um, that hug was like the kind of the warmest emotional moment that these characters have had. Okay, and it felt like kind of like a like a peak moment yeah. for them emotionally, and it and yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, I'm like. He let he let him free, whatever. But how is he going to escape with no one seeing him? That was the flip side for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, that whole like the scene, um, like, like that whole part when he like hugs him and all that stuff. I thought that was really cool and really and touching moment, obviously. But yeah, yeah. like him like uh, releasing the cuffs or whatever, right? Taking off the cuffs. Uh, yeah. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, how the fuck is he going to get past all those guards? <laughs> Look, how how the fuck did Braun get into Winterfell? Right, like we could probably spend a whole episode exploring that and explain it. But you just gotta take it for what it's worth. He he obviously got free. Back back when we had ten episodes a season, we probably would have gotten a scene explaining that, Mm -hmm. and we wouldn't have that question in our mind anymore. Yeah, fair enough. But but we have six episodes this season, and time crunch. Maybe there's. Maybe when it's released on Blu-ray, they'll they'll have an extended cut. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I doubt that. I doubt that. Yeah, but um, okay. <laughs> I think these episodes are the extended cuts. Oh, okay. Eighty-nine minutes and forty-five seconds on this one. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty long. Yeah. Anywho, uh, so from here we go to the battlements of King's Landing, and you're you're on Greyjoy's fleet on Blackwater Water Bay with their scorpion crossbows ready to take down Drogon. Yeah. Uh, Arya and the Hound, you know, moving through the busy, the crowded streets of King's Landing. Jamie with his hood on, also pushing through the crowded streets of King's Landing. Yeah. Uh, we have the Golden Company outside the gates, in formation, ready to defend, facing off against the remaining... Uh, armies of Daenerys and the Northmen who have now arrived, of course. Jon Snow's there in the front with Tyrion and Davos, the uh, basically three generals out on a hill. We get a lot of repeating of, don't worry, when the bells ring, the battle will stop. It's all going to be good when they ring the bells. <laughs> um, again, uh, never believed that for a second. Yeah. Uh, Cer- Cersei looking... You know, I don't even know if Cersei looked confident in the beginning of this, while looking out over the city. Uh, I think she always looked a little bit like, huh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, as, if Cersei fans are upset that, that she didn't do more in this episode, I get it. Um, I, but th- this episode was all about Daenerys. Like, this episode was all about changing the paradigm via the Daenerys military supremacy and um and and that's kind of part of creating the effect of that right like cersei was built up to be so powerful and these these scorpion crossbows were built up to be such a threat that when the truth comes out when daenerys embraces her true nature and unleashes the full force of her military supremacy 
it changes our whole outlook on the world. It changes our complete paradigm, our entire paradigm. Like everybody's like, Oh, Cersei's not Cersei. That that's the point. Hmm. Right. Like, like Cersei was never Cersei except for Daenerys was letting her like the entire time Daenerys could have done this. Daenerys could have done this back when the dragons were first full grown, which was probably, I'm, I'm guessing season six, uh, Daenerys could have done this and more when she had three dragons and there were no scorpions yet, right? right? The entire time, people have been talking about the invincibility of dragons in battle and and here it is, it's paid off. Hmm. It's like, it's shown to us. And the entire time, we've also heard a lot about the horrors of war, like Robert's Rebellion. And when Robert conquered King's Landing with uh, the Lannister armies, Tywin, and and the horrors that happened in that battle, uh, the uh, Rhaegar's children being killed by the mountain, uh, uh, Tywin hunting and killing uh, Rhaegar's brothers and sisters and laying their bodies at the feet of of King Robert, like all these horror stories for, of war that we've heard over and over again as book, as show fans and book fans are depicted so viscerally in this episode. Like this war, when it starts up, is so just real in its violence. It is so gut wrenching to watch. It is delivered to you in such just a, you are, you are there, you are in the middle of it and you are reacting to every blow. You're ducking from every dragon fire. You're, 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 you want to cover your eyes at the horrors that are constantly depicted in luscious detail Mm. in this episode, right? Like, the cinematic greatness of the horrible things that we watch in this episode cannot be understated. Like, I don't know. There's nothing in TV that you can go. Like, I've, I sound like a broken record. I said this about the last few episodes. But there's nothing in television history that compares to what you see in this episode. Like, go back and watch it again and without your expectations. You know, try to disconnect yourself from what you wanted these characters to do and say. And just watch. Just watch this episode, I beg you. Mm. Because you have never seen this level of spectacular delivered to you into your lap in your living room not for free because you probably pay for hbo but you didn't have to go to the movie theater you didn't have to wait in line you didn't have to go get popcorn it didn't cost you 60 dollars you didn't have to you know wedge yourself between strangers who might ruin the the experience for you you got to sit comfortably in your living room and have this spectacle delivered to you and whatever your expectations for this characters were like if you're going to try to tell me that this was a bad episode of television like just get the, just get out of here just like like just get out of here with that mess like you can't even you can't even just write this off as bad. Like you can have problems with it. You can, you can, you had hopes for your characters and that's fine. Like I, I don't want to take that from you, but let's be reasonable. Let's be rational when we're talking about this, please people. Yeah. <coughs> Again, though, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And if of they course. Don't, if they don't like it, they don't like it. It's not, 
You know what I mean, we're not James right, Bond, Bob. Okay, we're not going to okay. go door to door and beat up everyone that trashes on the true, internet. True, true, you know but, I mean? I, but, but I am going to, but I am going to put a plea out there. Yeah. If you don't like it, tell me you don't like it. That's fine. Tell me about why you don't like it. That's fine. But don't tell me like it's a fact that this is bad, right? There's a difference, right, mm-hmm. between telling somebody that this is a piece of shit and telling somebody I don't like this thing that you like, right? Yeah. Like. There is a big difference there, and I just people need to be careful in their communication. I, that's all. People are not careful in their communication. People are not. People don't know how to talk to each other civilly. Really, is the problem. And I suffer from that a lot too. You know, I get mad and I I get triggered and I rage out on people. And I'm sorry. You know, friends, I really am sorry if I have if I have you know like uh, been a little uh, short with you on Facebook or a little aggressive about defending this. Um, I do react harshly when, like, I, I like something, I have criticisms of something, but I still overall like it, and somebody wants to tell me that it's worthless, right? Like, like that's just not true. There's no absolutes like that. It's not black and white, okay? There's a lot of gray area here where we can, where we can have a nuanced conversation, right? That's all. Right. That's, that's, that's the plea that I want to put out there. Like, Please dislike it if you if you dislike it, and let's talk about why you dislike it. But please don't tell me that it's garbage or that it's awful. Like it's that's just insulting to what is like the greatest achievement in television history. Like the I, the same way that I felt about Endgame being the greatest achievement in comic book uh, cinema storytelling. Mm-hmm. This is the greatest achievement in television history. This show. Uh, from you know, from a fictional storytelling television perspective, you know, I guess uh, if we want to be more specific, but right. but but I, like if you like if you can't look at this and have respect for what you're seeing, I like I don't know what you're watching anyway. Well, this show is uh, visually stunning. I will say that, like the uh, everything about it, like the costumes and everything, are uh, absolutely amazing. They're incredible on- and. I get why they, like each episode costs like a million dollars. You know what I mean? The amount of work, dude, like you're yeah. so right. Like these sets are real. Like those castles are built out of wood. Those are real physical sets. Yeah. yeah. And the, the hundreds and thousands of costumes, the, the, the hundreds of extras, the, the little details, like, like somebody, like either digitally or or in real life, I'm not sure. I couldn't tell by looking at it. But somebody sculpted those bodies turned to ash at the end of the battle. Right. Like some some artist had to put a lot of work into creating like every little detail of this, and, and the, the the sheer volume of artistic detail Mm. that we see and that we hear on the screen because the score for this episode uh, was another like really powerful moving element to this production. Yeah. And while we're talking about it, I was actually um, impressed with the amount of violence. I, so from the time that we, like this this season uh, that like I started watching it, I don't recall it being as violent as this episode. 
like there was a scene where um i don't remember which character it was where he like chopped the guy and like the sword went right like from his neck all the way down to his midsection you know what i mean like shit like yep. that was crazy i was like yep are you kidding me right now <laughs> um so i no i feel like really graphic violence has always been a hallmark of the show like yeah, i remember okay. like back in season 1 or 2 the mountain like like cuts the head off a horse like right like just like chops it right off okay um, I and i the, like shocking moments of violence are like um yeah like visually graphic there have been a few like the red wedding for example yeah. this episode actually reminded me of the red wedding okay. in a in in a way that um it's not just the events of the red wedding it's not just that the phrase like got the entire Stark family uh, and their allies into the banquet hall and then murdered them all mm-hmm. uh, and, and subverted our expectations for who was going to be like the heroes of the show. It was the long drawn out graphic way in which that was portrayed in which we watched the bloody murder of Rob Stark and his pregnant wife and, and Catelyn Stark and all of the other characters in this scene, like the murder just went on and on and on and on. And it was just so drawn out that it kind of brutalized you as an as the as an audience with like kind of like just like horrible thing after horrible thing after horrible thing. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. And that's exactly what they do with Daenerys okay. starting at starting at the 45 minute point in this 89 minute episode Daenerys starts to rain her horrible violence mm-hmm. on the people of King's Landing. And like, like I said, at that point, they stop showing you her face and she just becomes an instrument of death and destruction. And okay. she stops she stops being this, this human character uh, for this last 45 minutes. And she becomes one with the dragon, one with death. Yeah. And as an audience, we are beaten with it. For 45 minutes, we keep coming back to the dragon, like, busting down brick walls. The dragon wipes out the Golden Company from behind. The Golden Company was bullshit. Mm. They were built up and built up, and I'll be shocked if this happens in the book, but we'll see uh, if my theory is correct and all these events are going to happen in the book because the Golden Company are really built up in the book, and especially their Targaryen uh, heritage is built up in the book. Um, and here they are just wiped out from behind by Drogon alone. And, you know, uh, Daenerys' army come in from the front and kind of mop up the mess, but they weren't needed to mop up the mess. Mm. Uh, like, Drogon took out the Golden Company in one shot, and I... I and I really like this because this is what I was saying. This is Daenerys' turn changes everything. And we see every character change. We see Grey Worm embrace his hatred and turn into a sadistic killer mm-hmm. in this moment. We see John lose control of his loyal Northman army. <clears throat> you know, the, the King of the North, the great savior all of a sudden is powerless in this moment. Uh, we see Arya completely overwhelmed in, in the rush of chaos 
and, and death and destruction around her. Uh, she's complete, like the hero of the Battle of Winterfell. Uh, turns back into the helpless, like ten-year-old girl from season one, almost right. uh, character-wise. There are just a, just a lot of just changing of roles. Cersei, like I said, we don't get the Cersei we expected because Cersei in this moment is revealed as being helpless. Those ballistas were those those crossbows were useless. Mm-hmm. Danny just had Danny just had to be the one d- doing the sneak attack. The only reason Euron took out Rhaegal so easily is because it was a sneak attack. Nobody knew he was there. He was secretly laying in wait for them to come around the corner w- with the crossbow like already loaded, like already aiming it. Right. That's why that's why it seemed in that moment like he was invincible. Danny didn't get the right angle on it. Danny couldn't get at him in that moment from the positioning of, of the ships in the bay hmm. this this is different this is danny's attack this is danny's sneak attack from the sky the the crossbows don't have time to get into position to aim at her to stop her she takes them all out in a snap like she always knew she could but she didn't because everybody was talking her out of it until now right but now she stopped listening and now this is what happens when Daenerys, the true dragon, the blood of the dragon, stops listening. She embraces her blood and fire. Hmm. And for 45 minutes, she rains it down on us brutally. She changes the entire game. She changes the entire outlook of everyone in the whole show. And she she changes the point of view of the audience completely, kind of exactly the same way the Red Wedding did, guys. Kind of exactly the same way the death of Ned Stark did, guys. This is kind of exactly the same thing. Only this was foreshadowed and foreshadowed and foreshadowed, like so much. I can't. I I couldn't. I couldn't sit here and list to you all the times this was foreshadowed. So I'm sorry if you didn't like um, the brutality of this, but the brutality of this was intentional and the shock that you're feeling and the despair that you're feeling was intentional because this is our Empire Strikes Back moment. This is our all hope is lost moment. Daenerys was supposed to be our savior. And if she's not our savior, if she's really the villain, is there any hope at all? Hmm. Can there be any hope at all? In a world where our savior burns us alive. This is the whole point of the whole show. Yeah. Is that there are no saviors. And George R. R. Martin has made this very clear. The world doesn't work that way. So when everybody was celebrating the Nisa Nisa being spun over people's heads and being worshipped as the one who saved us, who set us all free, you know, and even like Grey Worm's loyalty to Daenerys and even Missandei's loyalty to Daenerys in the end, it all turned out to be the message of the show is that is what was wrong. Like that was what was telling us that these characters are not going to be the hero. And Jon Snow may have to be the savior in the end, but he's not going to end on the throne. There's still going to be 
tragedy. Like Jon Snow is going to have to do things he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't want the throne. So if Jon Snow ends up killing Daenerys at the end of this, like most people think is going to happen, mm-hmm. that is still a, that is still a tragic ending for Jon Snow. There is no hero, and that is George Martin's point: is that that's not the way the world works. So anytime somebody is set up to you to be the hero and you're rooting for them, oh, I just want them to win. I just want them to win. You have been set up (laughs) to be hurt, to be disappointed, because that is the point of the show. I'm sorry. The point of the show is that the Game of Thrones is wrong, that the the Game of Thrones is toxic, that the Game of Thrones is an example of humanity at its worst. And it's not a hopeful thing. It's... It's a thing that should not be embraced. And and Daenerys as savior should not have been embraced. It was never true. And 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 we're getting the payoff of that message here in this episode. Um, uh, other things, I want to try to get all the important events in here. Um, we, uh, we get uh, Jamie and Euron in their final showdown. Uh, Jamie is uh, sneaking in to the Red Keep because he got locked out when the doors were locked, mm-hmm. and he and and he was you know kind of caught in the crowd. And, but he knows his way around. He knows a back door into the Red Keep. Uh, only thing is, when he gets there, Euron Greyjoy is there waiting for him. A lot of people had a problem with this. Oh, how could they just end up coincidentally being in the same place at the same time? Like I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. This is the back door to the Red Keep. This is probably a door that you know only the most important people in King's Landing know about or use. Um, it's like it's like the back door to your family house. Like like you're you know any anybody from your family might be there, but the general public wouldn't be there, obviously. Um, but you know I I don't have a problem with them bumping into each other here, especially because. Uh, Euron has his men everywhere. Somebody could have said, "Oh, we saw Jamie Lannister sneaking around," and Euron could have been sent there to find him by by somebody who saw Jamie. But we have to skip over that that stuff because we're in a hurry, right? Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed the fight between Euron and Jamie. I thought it was some great some great one on one violence. I yeah. thought it was real, like it was really brutal, right? Like it felt. Like really, kind of almost claustrophobic and 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 sickening. Like every blow, kind of you felt uh, uh, sitting in your couch. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a very very violent man on man fight. Uh, clearly a battle to the death, and um, both of them kind of survive it and don't survive it. Right. Like they're both mortally wounded at the end of it, but they both. Uh, you know, end of the scene with their eyes open and alive, basically. Euron, Euron's life ends uh, killed by Jamie Lannister. Uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I'm not really invested in this Euron character uh, from the TV show. Mm. The book, the book Euron is a whole different story, but this, but this version of Euron, <clears throat> no big deal to me. Uh, Jamie Lannister killing him, fine. Um, his announcement. Uh, his final words, I'm the man who killed Jamie Lannister. Uh, that's a thing that, that stuck out to me because I thought it was a setup, mm-hmm. right? Um, the next time we see Jamie when he, uh, when he, when he finds Cersei, 
I absolutely believed he was Arya. I, I, I thought that Euron announcing that I'm the man who killed Jamie Lannister was. Hello. Hello. Oh, you uh, disconnected there for a second. <laughs> Never <laughs> seen that happen before. Sorry, you were saying. All right. So, so anyway, when Jamie uh, finds Cersei, uh, I, I thought it was going to be Arya wearing Jamie's face. I thought that Jamie was going to just collapse dead in a staircase. Arya was going to come find his body, steal his face, and then use it to go kill Cersei. I mm. thought in that moment, in that moment when Cersei and Jamie embrace, I thought he was going to pull out a dagger and kill Cersei, and then pull off his face, and it was going to be Arya. And I thought, oh, what brilliant, what brilliant writing. Because Euron made that announcement just so that to foreshadow that this wasn't really Jamie and what a great twist that will be. Mm-hmm. But no, but no, we didn't get that. Um, it, instead, we got, you know, uh, the Jamie Cersei kind of death in each other's arms um, that the books always foreshadowed. Like both of them, both of them talked about dying together the way they came into the world. It was what they both wanted. Uh it, it, it was it was a fitting death for both of them. Yeah, I think a lot of people wanted um, a whole different thing, set of things to happen here. They wanted Cersei to be the Mad Queen. They wanted Jaime to have to kill her to stop her, and that and that to be their tragic ending uh, in each other's arms. You know, like like Jaime kills Cersei and some and her, Cersei's guards kill Jaime and they die together. Oh, yeah. That kind of thing. Um, and uh, as a fan, that was kind of what I was expecting to happen too. But uh, my expectations were subverted, and I'm okay with that because that has happened to me so many times before in Game of Thrones that I know that that's what Game of Thrones is about. Right. Um, and, and I still think that Jamie and Cersei's ending was fitting, absolutely in character, absolutely foreshadowed by the books and the TV show, and um, I don't have a problem with it at all. Uh, Cersei in her final moments verifies for us that she was pregnant for real. Otherwise she wouldn't be crying about not wanting her baby to die in these moments when she knows she's about to die. Um, and, and we get the human Cersei, we get the vulnerable Cersei. We get a Cersei that we can feel empathy for in her final moments rather than a Cersei who we enjoy being like humiliated or, or punished in her final moments. And, and as an audience, that makes it a little more difficult for us to watch. Like all of a sudden we're like, Oh no, maybe we don't want her to get crushed. Maybe we don't want to watch this happen. Maybe it's hard to watch. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. And I thought it was fitting that she was crushed under the red keep, which was like the object of her ambition for her entire life. The thing that mattered so much to her was, was her controlling of this building basically, Um, and she ends her, and her, her life ends with it crashing down on top of her head. Um, totally fitting. Okay. Um, I, I skipped over some stuff here. I skipped over Sandor. Huge thing. Yep. Uh, Clegainbowl, uh, which of course was, pre- which was immediately preceded by, uh, the moment between the Hound and Arya, where the Hound talks Arya out of going after Cersei. Yeah. Um, and they have a moment that's a great callback to their earlier relationship where the Hound was her protector and her teacher and her father figure for a long time. Basically, it was him telling her the way, the way of things. And, and, and she kind of lets him do that again in this moment. It, it, it does kind of seem strange that Arya kind of listens to him in this moment and gives up on her quest. 
I think it. I think it's it's sold to us through well the dragon is attacking and the dragon attacking is so violent and so scary that it's enough to shake Arya out of her out of her uh, mission at this point and just be like okay you're right I'm not going to survive if I keep going that way um, but they have a great uh, sweet goodbye and she says thank you and we know this is the last time we're going to see Sandor Clegane and Arya together. Um, and then we get Clegane Bowl, which of course is epic, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, we we get them facing off on this staircase, which has just the roof has just collapsed because Drogon has just breathed his brutal fire and, and brought the whole thing down. Um, so uh, Sandor is great. He approaches. Uh, he he politely greets uh cersei your grace he makes it clear that he's not here for cersei uh he's here for his brother i think this is a funny moment because in this moment it occurs to me that i bet you if cersei survived this battle and was on the throne i bet you clegane would go back to work for her i bet you like like none of these politics matter to him at all like he doesn't to him cersei's not really the villain to him the only villain is his brother and i think that's communicated to us in this scene which i which i really love how it works um the death of kyburn of course is kind of just a funny moment in this scene uh uh subverting expectations here some fans have a problem with the fact that um the mountain broke character in this moment right until this moment the mountain blindly followed orders uh uh, the mountain had seen his brother before and still continued to follow orders and protect Cersei. So the idea that the mountain suddenly just wants to fight his brother and doesn't follow orders anymore does seem a little weird to me. But I'm willing to overlook that uh, for this awesome fight scene, uh, <laughs> yeah. which, to, which to me, I don't know if I told you this or somebody else. There were three people texting me while I was watching this episode. Uh, I, but... Uh, this fight scene to me was more satisfying than the Anakin Skywalker Obi Wan Kenobi fight at the end of Re- Revenge of the Sith. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. This this only, fight only was because of uh, bad CGI, though, right? Yes, the bad CGI. Yes, okay. And, I and, can and, I can give that a, a pass. And and dialogue and yeah. dialogue, but I but, didn't have too much with. It. Come on, we, he gave us one of the greatest lines in that scene, which was, "Anakin, I have the high ground." Like, come on, <laughs> that line is only famous because it's so stupid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I'm not on that bandwagon. I hate you. <laughs> yes, okay. you were supposed to be my uh, brother, please, Anakin. Please stop giving me flashbacks to that terrible movie. Please. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Onward and up nerd. Let's continue. Yeah. Onward and up nerd. So um, it's a great fight. Uh, the mountain gets his helmet knocked off, and we get to see his full face in full horror makeup. He kind of looks like Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi with yes. his mask off. Absolutely. Uh, but but then he takes his shirt off too, and he just looks like um, the giant giant man that he is, <laughs> and um, 
And and the fight goes uh, pretty much how you expect, you know. Uh, uh, Sandor uh, stabs him over and over again and can't hurt him because he's undead, right? Is uh, that the deal? Okay, I, I wasn't sure about that. I wasn't yeah, sure if no, he was, the mountain yeah. was brought back from the dead. He was killed and brought back from the dead. He is a zombie. Okay, uh, he is like a Frankenstein monster. So technically, so, shouldn't he have died when uh, the Red King died, or did he not bring him back? No, it wasn't him who brought him back. It was okay. it was. Kyburn's Kyburn used some blood magic on him to bring him back. Okay. And um and uh through this entire fight I just kept saying you got to burn him. You got to burn him. You got to burn him. Like the only way he was going to die was yeah. to go into the fire and 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 what a fantastic ending. Sandor Clegane overcoming his fear of fire. Uh, uh, and finally completing his quest of getting revenge on his brother uh, with that fantastic fall yeah, into the flames, into the fires. Uh, another thing I want to talk about, I, I want to mention at least, is that uh, the wildfire that I was talking about earlier that was under the city did actually appear in this episode, even though Cersei didn't mention it. It seemed like Cersei might not have even known about it, but the Mad King... Uh, had stores of wildfire underneath the city. Uh, he set booby traps uh, for Robert's Rebellion uh, that were still there, that nobody knew where all the secret locations of the wildfire was. And they showed you in this episode because ha- some of the fire from above was green and some of it was orange. Okay. Dragonfire is orange, wildfire is green. So as... Drogon was lighting up the city. He was igniting the Mad King's secret storages of wildfire all over the city, and those started exploding at the same time as Drogon was burning everybody. And it's funny you should uh, bring that up because I actually had no idea because I saw the green shit and I was like, okay. Right. That <laughs> was the no wildfire idea. we got. Okay. And you know what, Kevin, I'm afraid I'm going to have to I'm going to have to cut this episode a little short here. I got I got to get going. Okay. Um I, I actually I actually am I'm out of time, but I want to tell you that my rating for this episode is my first 10 out of 10. Really? Okay. I, I yes, this is absolutely the greatest episode of the series so far. Right. Uh it 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 is all of our characters, all of our characters were true to their character arcs, got true resolutions or true are true um, next levels. Um, I, I didn't even mention yet uh, the ending that Arya got with the white horse. Mm. Uh, Arya leveled up in this episode, in my opinion. Arya embraced the god of death at the end of this. That was the that was what that symbolism was. Okay. That was that was everything Arya went through. All of the experience points that Arya earned in this episode by almost dying and trying to save people and but surviving all of that just miraculously leveled aria up aria is now going to come back in the next episode and my prediction my friends is that she is going to kill drogon so that because when john kills daenerys Mm -hmm. like drogon could just kill everybody right Right. so somebody somebody has to kill drogon uh and 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 my my theory is that Arya leveled up in this episode specifically so she will be strong enough, powerful enough in the finale to be the one who kills Drogon so Jon can kill Daenerys after Daenerys tries to go after Sansa, which is my other prediction. Okay. But anyway, 10 out of 10 for me on this one. It is the Empire Strikes Back for me. It, is, right. the pin- it is the pinnacle of Game of Thrones for me at this moment. 
And I am looking forward to the next episode, which I expect to be Return of the Jedi and end with Happy Ewoks. <laughs> what uh, about you? I wish I could cue the music right now for that. Um, I would give it an eight. Uh, I was entertained by this episode. Um, I was, like I said, scratching my head a few moments because I didn't really know what was up. But that's my non-fan opinion and my non-fan, you know what I mean? But yeah, no. Um, but no, I, I actually was entertained by this episode. And the fact that you set up the whole uh, mountain versus, sorry, what's his name again? The Hound. The Hound. Uh, the the fact that you set that up for me and I, when I saw it happen, I was like, in my head, I was like, yes, this is what Jeremy was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Yeah. And it, li- it lived up too, didn't it? Wasn't yeah, it, it was a great a fight? fight? It was a good fight. I just couldn't, like, I didn't know that he was undead. That was the whole thing. I and, thought he and, was just fucked up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, and, and when he got the uh, knife through the eye, I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> that didn't kill you? you he was undead. I mean? What's that? Because <laughs> he's undead. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't know, right? Yeah, so yeah. I just thought, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, no, I enjoyed it. And uh, okay. yeah. Uh, before we finish before we finish i want to squeeze in two more quick predictions uh i I think i think in the very ending of this when we get the happily ever after moments we will probably get a scene of more white walkers uh north of the wall to show us that the dead are not gone for good that this like that this cycle is going to continue again and i do think that we might get a scene of dragon eggs hatching back in uh marine or karth that drogon might have laid in uh season three or four when he went missing for a couple of weeks um uh, other than that um i'm done making predictions i'm looking forward to this last episode i can't believe there's there's only one episode of game of thrones left people there's one chance to get it right one chance (laughs) one ring to rule them all there you go and uh and just one more question for you that's right, Janet. That is the end of episode 14. <laughs> All right. Thank um, you for letting me rant, Kevin. No worries, man. It was my pleasure. Thank you for ranting. <laughs> please, please, internet, give it a chance, please. But thank you for listening. Uh, you know, my name's Jeremy Dove. And, and I'm Dennis Kevin Evans. <laughs> Too old for this podcast. Spell with a two and a four because 90s rappers spell that way. And that's what we are. I gotta go. Good night. Have a good night.